This is episode 90 with ultramarathoner, filmmaker, and the man behind the feature documentary 3100, Run and Become, Mr. Sanjay Rawal. Hey there, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Fitzgerald. And here on the show, my goal is to help you become a better runner. Sometimes that means interviewing an Olympic medalist to learn the principles that guide their success. Our last episode with Meb Kaflesky is a really good example of that. And other times I'm bringing in the support staff that help these runners operate at such a high level, the physical therapists, the science experts, dietitians, coaches, sports psychologists. They have deep expertise in a single area that you can then use to tweak your approach to how you're training. But sometimes it's my job to light a fire under you. I want you to get excited about running. I want you to listen to an episode of my show and then dream up a new challenge, a bigger goal, or some crazy new running adventure. I want to inspire you to think bigger and recognize that you can be a great runner. My guest today is going to help me light that fire. Mr. Sanjay Rawal is a filmmaker, and he's created a stunning ode to what it means to be a runner. His new film is 3100 Run and Become. It's a documentary about the world's longest road race held around a single city block in Queens, New York, called the Self-Transcendence 3100 Miler. The film follows one runner as he attempts to win the race, running over 60 miles a day for nearly two months. But I think more importantly, it forces us to confront some big questions like, what does transcendence mean for runners? And can you achieve enlightenment by running? And what does that even mean? What can we learn from traditional running cultures that's been lost today? Sanjay and I have a very inspiring and uplifting conversation about limits, personal growth, and the spiritual side of running. I'd also like to thank Inside Tracker for making today's show possible. They test your blood to find any abnormalities, whether that's from stress, overtraining, or even injury. And they give you recommendations on how to get back into your preferred zone. If you go to InsideTracker.com and use code STRENGTHRUNNING at checkout, you'll save 10% on any test they carry. And a big thanks to Angie, who said this about the podcast in iTunes. I'm a distance runner. I eat, sleep, and breathe the sport of running, and I'm always looking for not just content, but engaging and interesting content by which I can sharpen my running IQ. This podcast is wonderful. I have it on when I'm driving, doing accessory after a run, and during my long runs. The content is relayed in a way that is both relatable and palatable. I've learned so much about my running and ways that I can get better. So thank you for what you do and keep doing it. Well, Angie, thanks so much for the review. I so appreciate it, and I absolutely will keep publishing episodes. And if you enjoy the show, an honest review in iTunes is how you can make my day. Finally, without any further delay, please welcome Mr. Sanjay Rawal to the Strength Running Podcast. Sanjay, you grew up in Colorado, is that right? Yeah, you know, I was born in Nigeria, but my parents uh, taught at uh, CU, and so before I was a year old, we moved from Nigeria to Boulder. So uh, I like to think that I acclimatized to altitude for my first five years, and then we moved to the East Bay in California. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, the certainly the altitude up in Boulder, which I think is a little bit higher than Denver, uh, helps your running, no doubt, especially at that age, you know, where you're developing. Apparently, that's that's the, that's where the, the biggest gains are made. So, thank, thanks to my parents for that. 
<laughs> well, it's like the only reason I moved to Colorado to give my kids a potential advantage if they ever want to become endurance runners. <laughs> <laughs> good, good dad. So uh, I want to talk about your film, 3100 Run and Become. It. I watched it the other day, and uh, I was kind of blown away that this kind of an event even exists. Uh, I didn't have any idea about it, uh, and, and I've been a runner since... 1998. I've, I know all the big races in the U.S. and I was blown away that this this event can happen in New York City and it lasts about two months. and And I had no idea. Can you walk us through the self transcendence 3100 miler and, and just talk about you know the mechanics of a race this long because it's 3100 miles. Uh, absolutely. So I, I, I'm going to start you in 1977. You know, the Indian spiritual teacher, Sri Chinmoy, uh, took up uh, long-distance running. And he became a very close, close friend of Fred LeBeau, um, the then president of the New York Roadrunners Club. And imagine 1977, New York City. It's the 70s, and Sri Chinmoy's a guru. Um, Fred had a budding interest in spirituality and believe, I believe before the 1977 and 1978 marathons, the day before, he would actually have Sri Chinmoy come to Central Park and lead meditations. So, you know, the, the, the movement to like include the inner aspect with the outer aspects of running was, was very much in full force. Um, 1986 or so, Fred had the idea of resurrecting the old pedestrianisms, these like, like six day races, which took place in Madison Square Gardens in the late 1800s, where people would walk around an eighth mile, a quarter mile oval, um, and people would bet on who would walk the most miles in six days. And Fred wanted to revive that and do a six-day race. At the same time, there was a whole crop of marathoners who ran 26.2 for counterculture reasons. And by the mid-'80s, when it became mass market, they wanted longer and longer distances. You know, the, the races like Leadville and Western States still hadn't really, like, broken into the mainstream so folks f ended up flocking to New York City to do these six-day races in Flushing Meadow Park. Sri Chinmoy was intimately involved with those, but by the time the mid-90s hit, he felt that people could run longer than six days, 10 days, 1,000 miles, 1,300 miles. And he wanted to start you know, a, a truly ultra-distance endurance event that was certified, um, unlike the attempts that, where people run across the continent from SF to New York. And so his marathon team set out trying to find a course where they could like basically eliminate the logistics of like running from San Francisco over the Sierras and over the Wasatch Range and over the Rockies, you know, all the way across the United States. And they settled on the idea of a loop, much like the, the six and 10 day races, which they did with Fred. Um, that said, it's a little bittersweet because races like the 3100 require a huge presence of volunteers. And so they needed to do the race in New York City. Now, New York's a great place to run, but the city is also very, very busy and bureaucratic. And they told the marathon team that, yeah, they could, they could have a, a loop, any loop that they wanted to in the city, but they couldn't have it, you know, you know, for 52 days. So the 3,100 mile race is 52 days. And it means, it means runners have to average 59 miles a day in order to finish within the window. Um, and so the, the race leaders found a half mile loop very close to where Sri Chinmoy lived and where most of the volunteers for the marathon team lived as well in Queens. 
Turns out that it's a half mile loop around a high school. The fact that it's around a high school means that the city wouldn't give them a permit when school was in session. So the 3,100 mile race is around a half mile loop in Queens and it's staged in the summer from Father's Day, third Sunday of June to 52 days later, which is usually around August 8th or 9th. In the summer too. Talk about maybe one one of the more challenging times to hold a race like this. It's brutal. And it's like, you, one would think that the the best course would be flat, but New York City, it's not flat. So over the course of the 3,100 miles, uh, runners actually end up doing about 58,000 uh, feet of elevation change, two times Everest. Two times Everest. Now, is this the longest race in the world? It, it is. It's, it's the longest certified race in the world. You know, people running from San Francisco to New York City ostensibly, you know, could run a little bit more than 3,100 miles. That transcon is just like, just run the fastest time you can from City Hall, San Francisco to City Hall, New York City. Right. I actually met, a while back, I met Marshall Ulrich. Yeah, who yeah it's is, a great book. Yeah, he's, a, he's an amazing ultra endurance athlete. He's run that trans-American, uh, transcontinental run a couple yeah. times. I believe he held the record uh, at, yeah. at one point. I'm not sure if he still does. But, you know, I have his book right here. It actually says 3,063 miles in 52 days. So the 3,100 is actually slightly longer, but in exactly the same time period. I mean, of, of course, like Marshall had to go over, you know, four mountain ranges. And, and that race is its or that run is its own beast because, you know, you have to basically, you know, your, your logistical support team has to drive near you. Um, which means that when you end at a certain spot at the end of the day, you have to drive perhaps to your campsite or to your hotel and then drive back. So in the self-transcendence 3,100-mile race, they wanted to eliminate all of that. So, you know, there's a staging area with RVs. um, Food is brought right to you. You're driven to and from your accommodations, which are at most a mile or two away. Um, And so they tried to strip out all of the logistical issues that people running across the United States have to face. Yeah, it seems like it might be a little bit easier logistically than, you know, carrying all of your supplies and your crew team with you across the entire country. But with that said, I'm sure it takes a special type of person to run 3,100 miles around a city block in New York. And I'm curious, what have you found through your experience making this film? What did you learn about people who are the type of person to finish this kind of event and, and maybe not finish, but also just to start it. Cause I'm sure some people don't finish. That, that's a great question. You know, a film is inherently visual and I, I knew it would be the most boring film of the world if we just based the entire film around that one city block. And so, as you know, in, in 3100 run and become, we take the viewer to the Navajo nation, to the, the, Kalahari Desert in Botswana and to the kind of intimate locale of the marathon monks in Japan. And it's those side stories, which I hope give people a little bit of a sense of the inner nature of the 3100. Um, Our Navajo character, Sean Martin, who's the race director of the Canyon Deshay 55K Ultra, you know, he says in the movie that for the Navajo and a lot of indigenous cultures, you know, running is a prayer. When you run, your feet are praying to Mother Earth. Um, when you're running, you're breathing in Father Sky, you're, you're praying to them, you're asking them for their blessings to become better people. And that's the crux of the 3100 mile race. 
everybody there knows that when they start the race, um, they're going to start like basically a road to transformation. That, that race makes you a different person. At the same time, you know, the logistics set up the opportunity for people to really enter into a flow. Um, guys like Marshall Ulrich and, and Pete Kostelnik and Phil McCarthy, who run across the United States, they all say that after a certain number of miles, you stop noticing, you know, what's around you. You're just focused on effectively what, what, the, what you can end up calling the ritual of running. You can't even break things down into like marathons because you're doing two plus marathons a day. You can't break things down into 5K increments. You know, to survive and to thrive, you have to break things down into footsteps and really try to feel the gap between the moments to carry you through. And that's essentially what I see in all the 3,100 mile runners. I thought it was really interesting how you looked at a lot of different running cultures around the world. And uh, I'm glad you did, because you're absolutely right. If it was uh, an hour and a half on one city block, it, it might have been a tough watch. <laughs> but, you know, you looked at, you know, the Navajo, the Kalahari, uh, the running mounts of Mount Ehi, which I'm probably butchering the, the spelling of that, my apologies, or the pronunciation. Um, but I'd love to take a step back and have you explore the a comparison between these running cultures and the way that they approach running and ultra endurance and Americans. Cause we are, you know, we're, we're fiddling with our watches and trying to sync up with the satellites. And, you know, if it's not on Strava, then uh, Sanjay, of course, you know, it didn't exist. Right. So how do you, how do you kind of square the different approaches that Americans have to running that are popular right now in time versus all these cultures around the world that are so different. You know, I would actually dare to say, and I know this is the heart of your question, that it's actually not so different. Running is ultimately a human experience. And like, no matter who you are, you can go around the world anywhere and find somebody who might not even speak the same language as you, go on a run with them and come out closer as individuals. You know, there's very few activities, running, eating, a few others that really, you know, cross every single barrier known to human beings. That said, let's look at what you know, your question was, like running culture. In the U.S., we're, uh, as, as like Westerners, we're actually, like right now, our running culture is very, very, very new. And it's not necessarily rooted in a collective experience. Of course, each of us who runs, you know, even if we run for our own different reasons, we're getting something beautiful, something necessary, something vital um, out of that experience. But the indigenous cultures, they have a collective spirit of running. They run together. They understand that running is a teacher. Running is a celebration of life. Running is a way to grow closer as communities and ultimately you know, running is one of the deepest and quickest ways we can connect to, dare I say, to the divine. Now, most of us who run, you know, might have experiences of, of like other worlds or, or deep experiences of nature, but that might not be the prime reason why we run. For indigenous cultures, that's the prime reason why they run. And that's why I think for those cultures, running is much more transformative than it is for those of us when we're stuck, you know, looking at our watch, when we're stuck, you know, competing against others, when we're stuck worrying about injuries and times and gear. 
Yeah, it's interesting looking back on my own running career because I had such an interesting mix of the two when I was first starting out. You know, I started running in high school on the cross country team before there were all these wearables that can give you 75 different metrics about your running. And so it was a less connected experience, but it was also highly social and that I was able to, for, you know, 80% of my mileage, be out there running with a group of people that I loved being with. And it was a social event. It was a way for us to bond, to tell stories to one another and have a great time. And for me, I didn't even like running when I first started running and, you know, look at me now. And, and I got, hooked on running because I was able to uh, enjoy it from a place where I wasn't so focused on, you know, what my cadence was or ground contact time or all these little minutia of running that we kind of get really obsessed with. But I fell in love with running because, yes, I, I love the improvement side of things. I love seeing myself get faster, you know, month after month. But at the same time, I got to hang out with my friends every day. I got to go explore the conservation land in my hometown. And for me, it was such a social, almost uh, an exploration of not just myself, but of nature and my town and surroundings. And that it was so much more than simply, you know, what the clock said at the end of the race. And I think that's really powerful. I'm totally with you. And, and you know, in the U.S., if you look at like the rise of American marathoners, um, and you look at like Bill Rogers and Patty Catalano, Patty Dillon, um, you look at Alberto Salazar, you know, they came out of really strong running communities. I mean, you look at like, you know, Rob DiCostella and, and you know, even, even a little overlap with Frank Shorter in Colorado in the 70s and 80s. Um, and now it's like American distance is trying to emulate, you know, in a good way, like like Ethiopian, you know, teams and Kenyan teams. And for them, it's culture. It's like running is supportive. You know, you know, Elliot Kipchoge will have 15, 20 people who are all probably sub 210 marathoners that are his training partners. And they recognize his hierarchy, but he's also inspiring them and pulling them along. It's, it's, it's a very communal event. And, you know, I, I, I see that especially in urban cities in the U.S. where, you know, there's neighborhood street teams um, in New York City, there's 45, 50 run squads that are all based in just different pockets, and they all have their own kits. They all like run all the same races as everyone else does, but they're getting back to that idea of running together and using, you know, kind of the shared experience and shared love of running to help other people break their own barriers. It's interesting you mention some of these elite African runners because I just watched uh, a really short video on. I think it was Kipchoge and several of his teammates, and they were cleaning the bathrooms of their training camp. And, you know, the running community online kind of erupted, and everyone was asking, why is the fastest marathoner in the world cleaning toilets? And it's not really about that. It's about the fact that when you go to training camp, you hang out with your training partners and spend time with one another, and it doesn't, you're not stratified by your personal best. And the fact that you're all working together towards that common goal, and that includes sometimes cleaning some toilets. And, and I thought it was such a great encapsulation of not just a team mindset, but also a selfless mindset and one that uh, these runners are going to get together and they're going to do what's necessary for the group rather than be so hyper individualistic. And, and I think that's such an interesting microcosm. 
and in my own experience, making 3100 run and become and going to, you know, the more traditional running cultures, um, of course, it's like, you know, the, the Kenyans are a, a running culture, but their cultures are based on indigenous traditions, um, which are even longer than the great, you know, marathoning tradition in Kenya. And what I see over and over is this kind of deeper root for, of, of running as transformation. Um, those of us in the West, when we when we look at what's available online or offline from from these greats, it's like we just see the little things. Like we see the five a.m. runs, we see them eating the same corn porridge, we see them doing like communal chores together. But like underlying that is this deeper idea that the marathon or an ultra or pushing yourself to do well in running is going to make you the best possible human being that you can be. And, and that's, that, that was, a, I, I never heard that when I was in high school or college, you know, and it's like, if that was the root of American running culture, you know, you wouldn't have this singular focus on just the winners. And you'd understand that like for every Galen Rupp, there's like 20 more people that are, are all running with them and running, you know, around him and pushing him that are getting something in their own right, even if they're not running sub 210. Yeah. Now, I once heard you say that the 3100 race is more of a pilgrimage than a competition. Can you explain what you meant by that? The 3100 is, it's a long race, right? It's, <laughs> you don't say. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's like, you know, the, the people who, the, the leaders are usually doing between 68 and 73, 74 miles a day. Um, and when you're doing that kind of mileage and going through that amount of just like sheer energetic output, it's almost impossible to kind of like pace yourself by looking at the pace leaders like you would in a competition. It's like as soon as you start running somebody else's race, you stop noticing the things that you need to do. And so people even even in, in, in our movie, like you've seen it, it, it ended up being a race. Um, uh, towards the end of the movie between two of the, the competitors. But for each of them, the idea of competing against another person wasn't the aspect of the effort that was giving them the, the inspiration and the energy and the enthusiasm. The idea is that this race is going to make you a better person. And, and the, the best example is this guy named Kobe Oren, who's an Israeli you know, elite ultra runner um, who did the race in, last summer, 2018. And he realized that he could no longer think about the number of miles per day. He could no longer think about the number of miles per, you know, six hours or the number of miles per hour. Because if you start thinking about the race and segmenting it with your mind, there's, there's no joy in the race. It's like you just begin looking at numbers. You then just end up noticing all your problems and feeling all the pain. But if you look at every single aspect of the race as a ritual, as a necessary experience from taking the aid to changing your shoes, to taking a break, to running the miles, to treating your blisters and, and, and the, the physical suffering. If you look at all of the actions surrounding those necessary components as ritual, then it's more like you're on a pilgrimage. And the miles apparently, and I haven't done it, I've just spent enough time around the runners, but like the miles end up like blurring into each other. And, and that's the kind of elusive flow state that everyone is looking for in, in, their, in their running. 
Um, from seeing the 3,100 mile runners, it's like that's why they do the race. Everybody says that the first seven to 10 days are mentally difficult because the body's getting used to the heat, to the calories, to the pavement, to the miles. But after that first seven to 10 days, they actually enter into essentially their hearts, their spiritual hearts, where it's like everything is happiness. Everything is joy. Everything is, is positive if you let it. And the mental attitude for allowing that positivity to come forth is to take everything from the pain to the pleasure as a part of the experience, as part of the ritual. One of the reasons why I wanted to speak with you is to kind of take this very extreme event that, you know, in my opinion, is an extreme event and make it relatable and approachable to the average runner. And when I think about an event like this, um, I, I, I'm trying to figure out why a runner would not necessarily want to compete in it or, or run it to complete it, but even just to learn more about it. And I think you just answered that question. It's that path or search for a higher level of experience. And I think you only get that if you do what I'll call an extreme event. And based on who you are and your fitness level, that extreme event might be a half marathon. Um, but I think for uh, people who are looking for, you know, the next level or are really interested in their their capabilities and what their limitations might be in exploring those, this is such a fascinating uh, event to to learn more about. And and do you think that you know this is this is the kind of draw for the average runner is to glimpse what kind of an experience you might have when you stop worrying about the time on your watch and how many miles you're getting in and you just experience running for what it is? Uh, you're absolutely right. Like with the very rare exception, everyone who's ever attempted the 3100 has done a multi-day race, uh, a 10-day race, a six-day race, a 72-hour race. Now, in my opinion, anytime you go above 48 hours, it requires a totally different mindset. You know, for a 24-hour race, you can push yourself. Like, you don't even have to sleep. Sometimes people doing the 48-hour races, you know, barely sleep. You know, the people trying to hit the Barclays cutoff, you know, are also only sleeping, like, you know, 45 minutes or, or at most every 24 hours. And then you just crash. But when you get to, like, the six-day, the 10-day uh, lane, you begin to approach the running in a different way. It's the idea of trying to enter into a flow, being hyper conscious of what's going on and not like hallucinating through miles and just pushing through willpower. You know, the energy you get from those lengths of, of, of races comes from enjoyment and enjoying each moment. Um, and so I, I would suggest to those who are even mildly curious to find a six day race. And, and there's, you know, close to a dozen of them in, in the Western hemisphere. They're usually one mile loop. Um, they're 24 hour courses. Unlike the 3100, the courses in these races are open. You know, you can run whenever you want to. You bring a tent um, or stay in, in tents there. There's food available or you bring a handler. And imagine like doing anything intense for six days. And intense meaning singularly focused. Like if you spend six days just on a beach, like you would leave a different person. You know, if you spent six days just surfing, it would be great. If you spent six days camping, it would be fantastic. Like you'll have a different perspective just from the isolation and from the focus on, on that experience. 
it's the same thing with the six day race. It's like, it doesn't matter if you're doing 20 or 30 or 50 or 80 miles a day, you know, when your mind finally gets over the fact that you're, it's stuck there for six days and that you're going to be running for six days, it finds ways to get enjoyment at a level of running. That's very hard to get enjoyment from when you're just doing like 80 minutes or two hours or three hours at a time. I think this is the most fascinating aspect about this event and and really ultra endurance events in particular is the mindset that uh, these runners have and also the mindset that these kind of events can give you. Um, And, you know, I mentioned Marshall Ulrich, you know, he's done some things like, um, you know, he has the transcontinental record. He did a uh, something called the Badwater Quad, which was the Badwater Ultra Marathon. Uh, you do it out and back twice, so it was five hundred, nearly six hundred miles. And you know, I, I just realized that these people think differently than most runners, and and I think that is such a fascinating thing to study. And I think a lot of the uh, mindsets that they have, uh, we can learn a lot from them. And you know. What do you think separates someone who is interested in multi-day stage races or or even doing something like the 3100? What do you think separates them from everyone else? You know, it's, it's a good question. I, I, I'd like to say that it's almost, almost, not, not quite, but it's almost impossible to will yourself through those types of distances. You know, when you're trying to do 600 miles in in six days or you know trying to do 70 miles a day for for 40 some odd days in the 3100 it your mind is only going to offer you so much i mean you know you're not going to be able to gut your way through it you know you have to be able to like hit a deeper level and find a deeper place within you that's actually positive you know it's like it, it from an eastern standpoint you know suffering doesn't lead to bliss, you know, and, 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 and the allegory with, with these races, like, you know, you don't go through lots of pain just to finally reach that stage of happiness. Happiness doesn't come in, in a sense when the event is over, like you have to be able to find happiness within the event. So I, I wouldn't necessarily say that these types of runners have a different gear I would say they found something within themselves that's unlocked really only through running. And you know, when we spent time with, with Sean Martin on the Navajo reservation, an exceptional runner, an exceptional coach and teacher, when I went running with him, I realized that as soon as he left his door, his, from his first step, he was ready and open to having a spiritual experience. I mean, I wasn't like God, I was like, you know, making sure my, my, my watch was set that the GPS had like, you know, connected and I'm, I'm thinking about my pace. I'm thinking about the time. It's like, I've already in my head finished the run, but he's not. It's like, he's going out there running towards the East to the rising sun to imbibe the blessings of the holy people in the Canyon that we were running in. Like when people are running, even up the flat irons through these like really shrines, you know, of nature running, you know, up on, up in, in, you know, on, in Rocky Mountain National Park or, or anywhere. It's like, are we really running so that nature will give us an experience? I, I wasn't until I ran with Sean. And that's the idea of like, you know, when you run, your feet are praying to Mother Earth, you're breathing in Father Sky. You're running to absorb the energies 
of the good energies that surround that surround us all. Um, and that's that's I think what these ultra distance kind of you know legends are able to do. They're able to get joy and enthusiasm and energy just from the fact that they're running. I think what's really interesting about this comparison between you being done with your run before you even started your run versus someone who is so much more engaged and open to more possibility when they start their run. It's almost like the difference between that that type A American runner who just wants to get their run done so that they can put it up on Strava, so that they can have that great training log entry that they think is another brick in the castle that they're building. And that castle is their PR. You know, they're trying to get to that next level of racing performance. And it's just a different way of approaching running. And for me, I think it's almost a more beneficial way when you can balance the two and and almost let go of the type A drive to control every aspect of your run. And we can almost become better runners when we don't worry about all those metrics all the time. You know, there's a time and a place for it, I think. Uh, you know, I kind of have to say that as a running coach, you know, I, I, I get other running coaches, you know, knocking down my door when I say don't track your mileage and things. <laughs> but, you know, there, there, there is, I think, a need to not be so driven in type A with recording every little thing. And, and you know, a lot of that starts with our mind and our brain and, and the mindsets that we have. Uh, do you think runners can train themselves to be more open uh, when they start a run? And, and if so, how? How do we do that? I, I think you hit the nail on the head. Like, you know, when I was type A, I mean, I, I was a, a, a really good high school runner, not a good collegiate runner, but a good high school runner in, in the state of California. So, you know, top eight in the 800 and did really well in the mile and was on relays and stuff like that. And I, by my freshman year in college, I burned out, you know, because it was all about the time, the place, the splits and everything like that. It, and it wasn't really until I made this movie that I, I realized, like, you know, I love running. Like, what do I need to do to be able to run for the rest of my life? So then it's, it's, it's less about, like, what's this season going to amount to? You know, how many races am I going to do? And then it's, it's much less about being chained to Strava and much more about, am I running for the right reasons? And I, I can't say what those right reasons are, but... But, but for me, you know, I really realized that it's like, you know, I, I, I do have a meditation practice, but I, I realized that with that meditation practice, I can have like an additional hour or hour and a half of meditation a day if I run with the right attitude, if I run super conscious. And you know what that boils down to, and people might hate this, but what that boils down to is like no music. You know, it's like, it's 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 understanding that I want to be conscious of my feelings. I want to be conscious of those high points and those low points. I want to feel what it's like to feel really good, you know, without tools. And I want to figure out how to lengthen those moments in each run. Um, when I started thinking about running like that, I valued it more. And when I valued it more, I valued everything else that I never valued as a high school or collegiate or even runner in my 20s, like the stretching, the nutrition, everything else fell into place because for the first time in my life, running became the most important aspect of my day and the most enjoyable thing I was doing.
It sounds like it really changed your approach to running for the better. And, and, you know, I'm as a running coach, I'm always kind of looking for ways to help my athletes achieve their goals, whatever they might be. And, and, you know, I can't help but think that having these more enlightened running goals to be more connected with your emotions or to, to have a more spiritual experience when you're out there running, particularly maybe on a long run or a stage race. Um, you know, I, I do think these can help you as a competitor and that you can use some of these mindsets to improve some of the things that we've been talking about that you have to get away from. Uh, so I think it's almost a, a, a yin and a yang. It's a push and a pull between these two drives. Um, and how do you think someone can balance the the desire to be a good runner, to improve, to work on personal bests, but at the same time, not be a slave to their device and really focus on running for those right reasons? It's really hard. Like, you know, again, like I'm, I'm just an, an, an average runner, but there's there's a a, a local, a weekly local race, um, a two mile race every Saturday in my neighborhood in Queens. And for years I would win it every Saturday. And then I stopped winning and I stopped wanting to go to it. And it's like, I think in me, that's the attitude that I, I need to, to overcome. You know, I, I, I was like, you know, imbibed or imbu- I imbued the idea of like running to win, running for times, you know, running for PRs. And of course, every race you want a PR, but can you enjoy a race even when you didn't PR? You know, if you show up at the race and you don't feel that good, are you, you know, are you going to give up before the race starts? Or are you going to say, this can be a totally new experience? For me, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's almost an ineffective mental trick to go like, well, I don't feel so good, you know, but let me just like try to have some new experience. And that, and when I say that, it's like, it's, that's going to be an experience of failure. And I don't want to have that, but I need to separate myself entirely from the idea of failure or success. Um, and like in high school, like, you know, I don't, I'm sure it's the same now, but it's like when you're running track, you don't run with a watch, you know, you, you hear your splits and it's like you, you, you run by feel and I, that's what I want to get back to. And I, I realize I can't get to that in a race unless I get to that in training. So my mm-hmm. training is much, much more focused. I mean, I, 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 I still run with a GPS watch. I love looking at my, my times afterwards. But at the same time, I, I love trying to get myself into a flow, even for a mile or two, where I'm just enjoying what's going on. Um, and chances are, in that mile or two, something happens that surprises me. You know, either I knock off like a mile, a minute faster than I thought I would, and just feel great. And now I'm training myself to stretch those experiences out. Um, and lastly, it's like it's that idea of that that's that's embedded in 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 the movie of of self transcendence. You know, what does that actually mean? You know, self transcendence doesn't just mean PRs. It means going beyond your barriers. And I think the first step, at least for me, was understanding what are my barriers. Well, my my barriers, my desire to win, my barriers, my adherence to trying to get PRs, trying to beat other people, you know, trying to like do so many miles a week. But if I look at other barriers in my life, my ego, you know, and other like my 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 fears, 
I might actually overcome those in a race and be just as happy with that outcome as if I had a PR. It's funny hearing you talk about some of your experiences as a younger runner talking about, you know, you winning this race. And as soon as you stopped winning, you didn't want to go to it anymore. And, you know, now that I'm, I'm 35 years old, I have three kids and I'm starting to be at the point where I'm not racing as fast as I was when I was 22 years old running 90 miles a week. You know, I don't have the time to train that, that well anymore. And it's interesting because a couple years ago I ran a 5k. It was a local race here in Denver, and uh, I ended up winning the race, but I ran it at about my PR marathon pace. So, so it was a very slow 5K for me, and despite winning, I was upset about the race because I just was not really capable of running a competitive time that, in my opinion, would be competitive for me. And I was upset for about a week, and then I just had to put it, put it away and really say to myself... You actually had fun out there when you were running. It was a fun race to run, and you can't expect yourself to be running, you know, the times that you were running when you had a team and a coach and were running the workouts you were doing. It's just a different time in your life. And so, you know, when we talk about running for the right reasons, I think that some of those reasons will change as you uh, go through life and your life experience uh, becomes different. And so, you know, for me, when I when I think back on these things, uh, I, I'm always interested in being a lifelong runner. You know, how can I just run for the rest of my life? Because it's something that I love to do. And I think it requires a change in focus as you transition from someone who's 20 years old and capable of a lot of things physically to someone who's 30 and then 40 and then 50 and beyond. Uh, and I think your film was a really great way of driving that point home because it did a great job of highlighting many other different reasons for running that at least for me where i am in my life right now i related to that a lot so uh i, I appreciated that aspect of the film a lot thank you you know we we might all not all want to run to hunt like the uh, kalahari bushman and, and as you know in the movie we showed them really literally running down game um by foot you know you might not want to to be like a mar the marathon monks in Japan and do you know 20 to 50 miles a day for a thousand days and at the same time like none of us are mo most of us I should say you know aren't born indigenous and so you know we can't necessarily go and become a Navajo runner or a Hopi runner or an Apache runner but there are lessons you know from these running cultures around the world that I think will validate the experiences that we've already had in running and make us understand how deep those experiences are and hopefully teach us that those great runs that we've had, we can replicate them and we can replicate the feelings that we got from those moments of self-transcendence as many times as we want to, if we have the right attitude and run for the right reasons. You talked a lot about lessons, you know, the lessons that we can learn. And I could not help but thinking that it's going to be very difficult to achieve some of these goals of self-transcendence or uh, reaching a, a higher level of experience if you're not part of a running community, if you're not in embedded in, in a certain running culture. How can we as Americans in 2019 or, you know, others around the world who might be listening to this, how can we 
embed more running community and culture into our lives. Because I think no doubt that is going to make us better runners and it's going to make us enjoy running more and get more out of the sport. That, that's a great question. Like, you know, when I've been to like indigenous races on the Hopi reservation and the Navajo reservation, you know, there are 80 year olds in their jeans and boots running and everybody's happy to see them out there. You know, when I, when I look at the run clubs in, in big cities like Chicago and LA and New York, they're encouraging everybody of every speed, size, shape, and age. But when I go see like elite communities, we're also like into the body form. We're so into the look, we're so into the time and the gear. At the same time, like running is the most human of activities. And so like my, my like the thing the things that give me the most joy in running culture is seeing when clubs have a lot of oneness and they're just really happy to see other people running. Like even if you're running a 545 pace, like how many 530 pace runners are gonna like wave to a 12 minute per mile person? You know, you like put your nose up and you fly by them. But I think the aspect of really being encouraging in the running community is something that will help build that sense that you're talking about and that culture that you're talking about, which is akin to the idea of running being a celebration of life. It's like, you know, we all want to run for as long as we can. And, you know, we all, all want to become the happiest people we can through running. And that's going to come through, you know, just the, the, the encouragement and support of everyone in our community. Yeah, it's a really good testament to the fact that running is such a social endeavor. And the more social you can make it, the more you surround yourself with other runners and a great community, I think you're going to get so much more out of it. And you are going to be happier, like you mentioned. Sanjay, uh, thank you so much for for spending some time with me today. Uh, I thought the movie was excellent. I found myself very emotionally impacted by it. It really lit up the running parts of my brain. And uh, I think you did the runners. I think you did running itself and the cultural aspects of running uh, justice in this film. So thank you so much for making it. And uh, I saved my most important question for last. Where can other runners watch this movie? Ah, that's very, very kind of you, Jason. First of all, I'm, I'm grateful that you spent the time watching it. And I'm, I'm happy that you, you felt the emotionality you know, running for me now has become a very emotional thing where I'm trying to feel something. I'm not just trying to achieve something. And hopefully the, the, the movie will take people into that space. But in, in the U.S. and Canada, the movie is available on iTunes and Amazon. And um, if you're anywhere else in the rest of the world, the, the movie will be available there um, by mid-2019. Now, it is available in some theaters, is it not? We finished our theatrical run just recently. You know, we were okay. in, in the in the starting in the fall of 2018. You know, we, we were in you know 60, 70 cities around the country uh, for you know extended periods of time, and you know had a great time to see pros from Tim Olson to 800 meter specialist Kate Grace, and really realized that like there's a lot of pros out there who have had deeply spiritual experiences and trying just like you and me to make running that transformative um, endeavor that we're all hoping that it'll be in our own lives. I had a deeply spiritual experience running behind Tim Olson in my first ultra marathon because I realized I had no business running right behind Tim Olson in an ultra marathon. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. But you know, he's a, he's, he's a great example of someone 
who like has a strong meditation practice and is is trying to really use his running to make his meditation better and his meditation to make his running better. Um, and that's, that's been really inspiring to me. I've never been in a race with him and I don't think I ever would have been, you know, right behind him. So that's, a, that's an achievement in and of itself. <laughs> well, thank you, Sanjay. Um, again, thanks so much for, for being here and please come back on anytime. Oh, that's, that is a very, very kind invitation. And I'll definitely take you up on that, Jason. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Sanjay about his new film, 3100 Run and Become. My goal is for you to be more inspired, to be more excited and more motivated to train and set really big goals for yourself that really excite you and light a fire under you. So after an episode like this, please shoot me an email at support at strengthrunning.com or you can find me on Instagram at jasonfits1 and let me know how this episode impacted your running. I'd love to hear it. Finally, are you a runner that wants to get better, race faster, get injured less frequently, maybe run further? You probably are. So you are going to absolutely love our sponsor, Inside Tracker. They test over 40 different biomarkers, like various stress hormones, like cortisol, for example, to determine if you're training too hard, too little, or have any kind of physiological weaknesses that can then be remedied by either diet, exercise, or some lifestyle changes. So in other words, you learn about problems that then have actionable solutions. Inside Tracker uses blood testing to get this information, and then they communicate what you can do to lift or lower your results into the optimal range. For any runner who wants every advantage to perform at their best, to see what they're truly capable of achieving, I highly recommend Inside Tracker. I'm not just a spokesman for the company, I'm also a customer. Sorry, I've just always wanted to say something like that. <laughs> and let's just finish up and say that they do great work. They've won some awards. I had an awesome experience with them last year getting my own test and results back. And if you go on over to insidetracker.com, you can check out all their different testing kits. And don't forget, code STRENGTHRUNNING will save you 10% on any test that they have available. Thank you again for listening to the podcast, for being a crazy runner and doing what you do. I wouldn't be here without you. Until next time. <laughs>